Is there a future where The Sopranos will one day be lost by newer generations? Perhaps in the oversaturation of streaming services and critically acclaimed TV like Tears and Rain. Welcome to Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. I'm Jared Backens and I'm joined by my two millennial co-hosts, Drew Madden and Josh Fink, as we go through each episode to uncover if The Sopranos should still be considered the best. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. Even though some consider 2020 the golden age of TV, I get the feeling we came in too late for that. We came in at the end. The best is over. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Here we go. Okay, welcome to episode seven, Down Neck. We're going to be discussing on Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Josh Drew, I have some bad news. So, so I have the Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos Twitter account where I've been trying to pull in just more followers, try to get people excited around the podcast, which I'm not really used to that. It's been a real, actually a real challenging thing to, to get Twitter followers. But on Twitter, I, I saw Rotten Tomatoes posted the results of that best HBO shows of all time bracket. Remember we talked about last time? Riddled with recency bias, if I remember. Yeah. <laughs> but the final four was Chernobyl, The Wire, Westworld, Game of Thrones. And it was... Wire against Westworld, Chernobyl against Game of Thrones. Drew, what do you think the results were? Wire against Westworld, Chernobyl versus Game of Thrones. I gotta say Game of Thrones beats Chernobyl, but I haven't seen it. And then, I mean, I'm just gonna say The Wire beats Westworld because that's my favorite show. And who wins the whole thing? Oh, fuck. I hope The Wire. (laughs) Josh, what do you think? Uh, I think Westworld uh, beats out whoever they were against and the wire yeah the wire just because people are idiots and then i would go game of thrones over chernobyl and then i bet i bet game of thrones wins so that that's what so i i prefaced it by being very outraged so that was maybe that helped you guys but that's what happened too so westworld took down the wire which is a tragedy and game of thrones won won it all i mean i don't know are we the three of us we've talked about game of thrones a lot we've all I think enjoyed it early on and then it it really just didn't hold it together for the the whole series. Josh, I mean, what do you think people are looking for now in a TV show? Why do you think shows like Game of Thrones are everyone's favorite right now? I think a lot of them are looking back at probably the, the middle seasons, but they're they're I think people just want a lot in every episode. I don't think they want build up, which is funny because Game of Thrones had a lot of it in the beginning. It was kind of like, oh man, like when is something gonna happen? But then the last two seasons were kind of just like these epic battles and, you know, not a lot of, you know, chess pieces being moved in the background. Um, I think people have just gotten addicted to the, oh, I need to be entertained and captivated with this, you know, action that's right in front of me. I don't have to think about it for a whole hour. And if I'm not, then, you know, I'm going to change the channel and look for something else. I think, you know, directors and, and writers are playing to that kind of American viewership or probably global viewership. And, and I think about that in a lot of other shows too, where like everything starts off off the bat and every episode is like kind of like a roller coaster ride. Like, Oh, once you're done, it was kind of a little adrenaline uh, just the whole way through, not so much character development and, and slow uh, moving storylines. Kind of like what the Soprano has done throughout its first season is just kind of set everything up nice and slow, done some episodic things here and there, done some long, um, plot lines, you know, as well, um, just masterfully done where everything else is just, we're going to hit you kind of like a Michael Bay film. And then, you know, we're going to do the same thing next week. So Drew, what's the better approach out of those two? Is it the 
packing everything with as much adrenaline as possible or the, or the slower development? I was just going to say full frontal from both sexes. <laughs> they don't discriminate. I think that probably was it. <laughs> I mean, I think Game of Thrones kind of, there was a reason it got so popular and it did have that slow build and the kind of chess pieces moving. So I still think people do do want that. It's always nice when you get action afterwards. I, th- I mean, I just think so many people were disappointed with the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, the, the last two seasons were bad. But I guess it, I think, Josh, you made this point and you're making it too, Drew's. I enjoyed the first two seasons of Game of Thrones more than the rest. I think they started to add in a lot of their own content, which deviated from the books. There was less kind of the the dialogue and the political maneuvers that are happening off screen. And it's really just, they relied on shock deaths, which I think were exciting and brought a lot of people in. But it seemed like a lot of them, especially millennial and Gen Z or centennial viewers liked seasons three to six, which were before the the really bad ending, but also already had the buildup of characters. I think that those are when Game of Thrones hit its peak, at least with viewers. Do you guys remember, what, what season did you guys like best? Probably the first. I remember the second being, man, this is making me want to watch the second season again. Yeah. I mean, I think in popularity, one, then two, then three, then four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the same, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite, Josh? I kind of, uh, I got in late, so I, I binged like the first three seasons. So they're all kind of like, run together as one for me but i think season three i mean season one captivated me right off the bat but i want to say like season three or four i think was my favorite how many were there like seven there's eight the last one and the last two had shorter seasons like the last one had i forget what like five or six episodes second to last had something similar and just like the longest battle scenes that that cost like a hundred million dollars each to make or something it's kind of sad, though. I, I, I think about recency bias and I'm wondering, like a lot of kids that come into like a series like Star Wars or something now, like the the prequels and even like seven, eight and nine, which they just made, they're a lot more exciting. They have those, I guess, the the adrenaline pump that you said, Josh, and they have, you know, the animated series like the Clone Wars and things like that. But I don't think Gen Z or anything really worships the original Star Wars, probably like people from from our generation do. And that's kind of sad when I think about there is something to recency bias, but it, with that too, like, are we, are we wrong to be holding on to these, these older things? You think Josh? Oh no, it's tough, especially in sports. Like people copy Michael Jordan, but like then actually do it better. What, which one is better? Is it the remembering when we f- saw it first, like with star Wars, it was groundbreaking. The special effects were amazing. And then now kids watching it are like, this is totally fake. Like I can see through all this. And they see the new Star Wars and it's like, oh, this is amazing special effects. So I think there's a little bit of that. They're just building on top of it and, and with newer technology and the director styles. Yeah, same, same story. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> episode seven, they're just like, let's roll it again. You know, it worked really well. And episode four, let's just do the same thing again. <laughs> no, that's true. I, I didn't. I haven't been caught up on all the recent ones. I there's They're so discombobulated in my mind because they have like yeah kind of follow a story then they do an offshoot and I'm, I'm not caught up i didn't watch the episode nine that was the last one i have no desire to it, it doesn't appeal to me like the like i mean i went to the prequels really excited though i guess i was a teenager when those came out one two and three and ended up being very disappointed but still episode nine i don't have a desire to go see i wasn't disappointed i remember I remember coming out of the movie theater being like, that was awesome. It was like my birthday. So I invited all my friends and I was like, dad, what'd you think? And he was like, yeah. And I, <laughs> I'm like, what? But what about Jar Jar? 
The Phantom Menace, I was nine when that came out, or maybe eight in 1999. And I love that. That was my favorite movie at the time. Oh, the, the pod racing was awesome. Yeah. The the dual-bladed lightsaber. Darth Maul, who had two lines in the whole movie, but you're just like, yes, this is the film. <laughs> I, I love, yeah, but then by the time I was 15, when episode three came out, I was just, I was kind of over the prequels. I had come to my senses a bit. But I think the originals had the the character build, which I think, Josh, you were attributing to series. You said like the Sopranos. I think audiences are dumber now, but maybe that's the, maybe that's the baby boomer in me just being, you know, kids these days. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe not dumber, but just less patient or. I think that's true. They're less patient. So episode seven, down neck. What was the core of this chapter, The Sopranos, for you guys? Josh, do you want to go first? What I came about it was, you know, kind of destiny versus free will. And I know Dr. Melfi touched on that, but it was it was really Tony coming to grips with how he became a gangster and was it, did he have a choice or not? And obviously reflecting on his own son and is he giving his son a choice and, and things. So I think Tony kind of blames, he sees himself as a victim of his surrounding of his environment. Uh, but you know, there's always choices to be made. He, he, he fell down the wrong path. So I, I would say, yeah, free will versus uh destiny. Are you just like working through the answer when I ask you and then you're just like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to say something pretty soon. And then that's, that's what you came to. No, I thought about that one okay. today when I was running, listening to <laughs> Anima of the state and, uh, <laughs> I just couldn't stay focused with all the bangers that were in my headphones. <laughs> wait, wait, did you say free will versus destiny? Yeah. Okay. It sounded like you were working it out like a, a politician that gets called on and, and doesn't know what they're about <laughs> to say. They just start like, so Aleppo, right. So Drew, what was the what was the core for you? I was also listening to the end of the state. So I said, I was thinking all the small things. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, No, mine, I, I put uh, back to the future. Is that is that too too <laughs> quirky? Since it's no, this is this is whatever whatever <laughs> speaks to us, and I love that a lot. Like actually, Tony used the past to solve one of his problems in the future, or to confront something in his or in the present. So I wrote, "Do as I say, not as I do," because that is essentially. I mean, Tony doesn't really take any action on this, but that's essentially what he wants his son to do. But I think a lot of it is kind of just hoping, hoping things will work out on their own. We have the cores too. What were what were your guys' big takeaways from it, Josh? You want to? What did you think of it overall? I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was good setup episode for things to come. I w- was really curious how he, he was going to handle the eventual conversation he's going to have to have with his son uh, after the meadow talk. Because I grew up with siblings, and siblings always talk, so the son's going to ask Meadow first, uh, you know, is his dad in the mafia? And she's like, mm-hmm. which clearly has already happened. And then it's starting to affect his character, which I'm actually not totally convinced of that. I think when they were stealing the sacrament wine, it almost sounded like it was a rite of passage at that school. I even, if I remember correctly, somebody even said that. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, who, who doesn't do that stuff? Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see how that develops down the road. And if, Tony really tries to steer him, I don't know, send him off to boarding school or something to get him on the right path. But I'm really big into Genesis stories, especially in comic book movies. I really like how did they start? And so this is kind of cool going back in time, the old school cars, 
and and seeing how, what his father was like and what his mother was like too. I I, I love the the sixty stuff. So you probably you probably loved the Star Wars prequels. Then those were Genesis stories. Find out <laughs> about Anakin Skywalker. I thought that was pretty <laughs> yeah, cool. The, the retro the, the retro uh, not UFOs or their aliens. The, Drew, no the. <laughs> <laughs> Not the ships. What do you call them? Not the Tie Fighters. Not the Tie Fighters. X-Wings. No, the like way more futuristic, you know, ones they have in the prequels. (laughs) That I can't remember the name of. They're all like sleek, and they kind of look like a sperm with like two pods on the side, and are like gold (laughs) with (laughs) it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I think you're talking. Yeah, I think I think uh, Queen Amidala had one of those, right? They're yeah, maybe we can just cut yeah. that whole. <laughs> 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 Drew, what big picture ideas about the episode? Yeah, it's always good to see like you know some of Tony's past to to get some perspective and 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 I. I, I didn't remember this episode, so it was interesting to see what his dad was like, and then also what his mom was like. I loved it. Yeah, seeing what both of them were like, and it 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 like I didn't know what to expect, but then it just when I saw them, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's exactly how they would be, isn't it? Yeah. So most Sopranos episodes have three or four storylines every episode. Of course, when you're watching TV, you're just digesting it all at once, and you probably don't notice that. Um, it's usually like an A and a B story that are equal importance and then there's usually a c that's small and a d that's that's a lot smaller and sometimes those are funny but i think the mastery of of writers is finding a way to tie all those stories together like you could have four different ideas for characters but finding a way to having someone's choices in one story to affect the choices in another story that's actually really challenging and some of the shows that do it the best actually are seinfeld and curb your enthusiasm on tying all the stories together Curb Your Enthusiasm has a formula where it's Larry gets into a situation, that's his A story, and then something else happens, some B story comes into it, and every episode, the formula is the B story has to solve the A story, or vice versa, and that's and that's how he builds every episode. But when you're watching it, you're just like, oh, wow, how, oh, that just came together nicely at the end. Yeah, it's like Larry agrees to do something that he actually doesn't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys remember, so this one had four storylines, and I want to see if you guys can can pick them out so if you guys if you guys can think of one shout it out anthony jr gets suspended yeah and he suspects that he has add and goes through that situation so that's one of the stories uh tony going through his past to to realize like how he wound up who he is and and then that kind of dovetails into to jr you know how to uh, how to interact and and raise him with 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 like the trouble that he's getting into now right and like he started discovering that because of what happened in the A story, right? Like Anthony Jr., AJ misbehaves, and then Tony starts reflecting on his childhood in therapy, and and that's that's really the B story. And he uses what he remembers from that to to end up confronting his mom and the pain that she inflicted on him. So that was the B. The C and the D, you you guys probably aren't aren't going to get. What about the Anthony Jr. divulges to his grandma? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. C or D. Yeah, that's either the C or the D. And it's very, there's like two or three beats in the whole episode about that. But yeah, that was, yeah, that was the C story. So Olivia learns Tony is seeing a psychiatrist and almost has a moment where you think she's going to reveal it to Junior at the end. And then Tony walks in. You guys might not get the the D story in here. The D story is when Anthony Junior tells the psychologist the first episode of South Park. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't like how the... This the psychologist belittled South Park immediately. 
It's like, dude, South Park is really good satire. <laughs> no, so the, the D was only one beat in the story, but we learn a little bit about... Was it the union? Yeah, the union job. There's like one scene about that and didn't really fit into the episode, but we got more clarity yeah. into... Nice, Josh. Yeah, that was really good. Nice. Good job to both you guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is actually the only episode in The Sopranos that's been directed by a female, too which I thought was a really interesting one to reflect on Tony's masculinity, like his toxic masculinity, really how he, you know, thinks all this macho, all this, these macho actions are really a way to define him and define his father and maybe ways that AJ would look up to him. So I think it's good to at least talk about that. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, do shows like this perpetuate that toxic masculinity, that mob life, or do they really, or do they do a good job discouraging that type of activity? I don't know, man. I was wa- I was listening to that podcast, Rabbit Hole. Have you guys heard of that one? No, what is it? Uh, it's like a guy from the New York Times is doing it. And uh, I guess there was like a mass shooting in New Zealand where the guy like put on a GoPro and like live recorded it. And they're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, like video games. I don't know, when I'm like watching this show, I see myself like grimacing, like when people are getting kicked in the ribs or I do think that we're like blank to violence. Like we're, we're used to violence through watching television, you know, through playing video games. But at the same time, it's like, it's really shown in a negative light. Have you seen that interview where Quentin Tarantino just like goes off on that guy for <laughs> like horrifying violence? I feel like he's do- I feel like he does that for every movie that comes out of his. It's just like, so Quentin, you did it again. Um, I don't I don't remember seeing that one in particular. True. So you think potentially? Yes, def- potentially. But at the same time, it's not I don't know if it's glorifying to- toxic masculinity, but it's definitely normalizing it, if that makes sense. What do you think, Josh? I think it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, I don't think it's glorifying and I don't think it's downplaying it. I think it kind of lets the viewer decide. I kind of agree with Drew. Every time you can tell when someone's about to get whacked or there's a fight scene coming up, it's very an honest approach to how they film it. It's like they don't amp it up. I mean, clearly the fight scenes could use some better directing because I don't think (laughs) Tony's dad, when they were going back, I was like, I don't think he came within like six inches of the guy. (laughs) But it it just shows like the brutality of it and uh, they kind of let you decide how you want to take that. But I haven't for one part, I haven't yet been thinking like, man, life would be good as a gangster. Like, yeah, he, <laughs> he might make some money, but carry around the weight of his shoulders and he has to see this therapist and, you know, his family <laughs> life sucks. So, I mean, I'm happy where I'm at right now. <laughs> I ask because, I mean, people do worship Tony as this, as this hero. They, you know, they think he's right. Like, oh, that was the, the good thing to do. Yeah. Show that person show that person who's boss. I think that's one way of looking at it, taking everything he says and does at face value. And I think we're looking at it a little bit differently. We're seeing, oh, actually Tony's Tony's lying through his teeth all the time. Like he's seeing it there. Like he's really a shell and he's insecure and he's depressed and he's all these things. And I think those are two perspectives. If you just start looking at if Tony's lying or if Tony's telling the truth, those are two completely different perspectives you could get out of it. But I think gangster movies and shows do have a history of at least to certain audiences, making them excited about like, oh, look at what Don Corleone's doing. You know, look at what Tony Soprano's doing. But I don't know if that's the content, if that's an error of the content. I think it might be an error of our society to, you know, make people feel that they should be excited about things like that. I was just say a good example of that is Catch Me If You Can. I mean, you know, in, until the very end, you're like, man, I would love to be, what's his name? <laughs> Something Abagnale? Was it Robert? Frank. 
Frank, Frank, I like so smart, good looking, charming, could forge a check with the best of them and do whatever he wants until he ultimately got caught and went to prison. But they were definitely glorifying his life for about 90 minutes of that movie. Yeah, totally. And I mean, a lot of a lot of movies do that. And a lot of actually like Martin Scorsese movies, of course, they're like these a lot of them follow the same theme where they they glorify usually gang life for most of it. And then by the end, you're like, oh, gosh, this is horrible. I would never want to live this life. But somehow the last half hour gets lost by a lot of people and they still are, you know, worshiping Goodfellas or we're worshiping um, the guy from Wolf of Wall Street. Like every white dude in business school is like, yes, that guy. And it's like, no, guys, you don't want to be like the guy from Wolf of Wall Street. We ain't leaving. (laughs) No, maybe you should. (laughs) So getting into the episode. So we start off, Anthony Jr. steals wine with a bunch of his friends. In a very silly high school scene in gym class, apparently they're all drunk uh, and one of them gets sick and he gets sick off screen, which is it's just like a dopey 90s moment that that whole scene. But starts our story off. And then our lone scene from the D storyline is Tony visits Christopher at the job site. This is cool, though, because you get to learn a little bit about how Tony makes his money. You know, he's a union leader or at least is extorting the real union leader and is on payroll here. So he has his guys work at a job site, really stop them from doing work until they pay him so that they can all go back to work again. I think a pitfall of this scene was Tony pretty much explained that whole thing to the union guy. He's like, Christopher here is a safety worker who's doing yada, 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 which is really just for the viewer's sake. So I would have preferred if he just didn't explain it and we kind of piece it together throughout the series. I don't know. I think he might have needed to explain it a bit more for me to fully understand. (laughs) I was kind of like, I kind of got it. I mean, you might not get it fully there, but then the next union scene, you get a little bit more. Yeah. Even if you don't get it the first time, it's like throughout the show, you'll piece it together. Yeah, I think it takes away for a moment. Maybe I just am am sensitive to that. I get irritated when someone is just clearly explaining something for the audience's sake. Tony and Carmela go to visit, I guess, the priest at uh, Anthony Jr.'s Catholic school because AJ's Anthony Jr. stole the wine. Uh, They start to think maybe AJ has ADD. And this is where we start to see, maybe call it Tony's old school mentality, maybe his his toxic masculinity, but talking about, you know, he just needs a hit on the side of the head. You know, Carmela's like, would you hit someone with polio or something? Do you guys think Tony has his point here? Or is he is he completely off base? What do you think, Josh? I think he's got a, a little bit of a point. And I don't even know if this view of Adderall or ADD has changed much since 1999 or 2000, whenever this was filmed, where is it just a crutch drug for a psychiatrist to be like, okay, here's this, this will help? Or is it just a normal 13-year-old being a 13-year-old? Yeah, I mean, slapping your kid around, corporal punishment is definitely not as... Uh, not as popular these days. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I think basically, yeah, just punishing him at home and uh, try to instill some discipline that way. Maybe not hitting him, but you know, I, I, I think they should start with that if they haven't been doing it and then maybe go to the psychiatrist if, if that's not having an effect. I, th- I think you're in the sense of this scene, it's just like, oh, what has AJ done before this to, you know, get them thinking this? But I get the feeling Tony would have done this no matter what, like it's true, maybe ADD is overprescribed, especially now. But what if what if Anthony Jr. was one of the cases that absolutely had it and it was so obvious? Is is Tony just like his mom, just like so anti, oh, that doesn't exist? Well, I think he sees it as a, a weakness, which is funny yeah. because he's taking uh, Prozac, uh, you know, for, for his own depression. So it's definitely a little hypocritical, but 
I think he kind of just sees it as a weakness. Like, no, the Sopranos jeans doesn't have ADD in it. Look at Meadow. She's a all-star student athlete, you know, going to Colby, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, any thoughts? Anything to add? No, not really. Um, besides the fact that Meadow's on speed, <laughs> at least for that one episode. <laughs> which is basically Adderall. <laughs> yeah. <which> is, yeah. <laughs> Comes full circle with the Sopranos kids. <laughs> yeah, I think, oh, I, I would say, I think Tony's probably... You know, it's like his own insecurities with, you know, him taking Prozac, his kid maybe needing Ritalin or Adderall. I think that's that's really similar for us to have to be judgmental of of things that we're actually insecure about. I see Tony as this old school, obviously not politically correct guy getting pushed into this progressive world in a lot of ways. And this is only one example of it, but he's constantly being tested. Like early on, he was did not want to embrace therapy at all. And now he's kind of ready to embrace that, ready to show more of his emotional side there. And this is an example too. And I think there's more throughout the series where he's pushed into this this new world of what, whatever it is and either like feminism or uh, gay marriage or and all these all these things he's kind of tested at and he's not he's not used to that at all and it's really just interesting character study seeing what happens when this this guy gets pushed into these situations so really really smart writing last thing i'll say about this i know it's a small scene but i think this is one of those scenes that depending on where your personal views are like maybe you are completely you you don't believe ADD exists or something like that you you would probably get behind everything tony says and then on the other end of the spectrum if you you know, maybe if you're a therapist or if you're a doctor or something like that, you see it as kind of a social commentary on like, wow, I can't believe someone like Tony exists. Obviously, that's clearly wrong. And both people could be watching that show and or this show and have those different perspectives. And I think that's why it attracted such a huge audience is because of scenes like this. Dinner at the Sopranos household, Uncle Junior and Livia are at dinner. They express that old school mentality. You know, Uncle Junior says the boys will be boys. Tony's lecturing Anthony Jr. And he says, you know, uh, something along the lines like he doesn't condone that type of behavior. And AJ says, yeah, sure. You know, insinuating that he might know something about about Tony. And they end up, they ground AJ. Next, Tony and Carmela are in the bedroom and they're asking themselves if Anthony Jr. knows that that Tony's in the mob. And they have these conversations around their kids and potentially having to tell them one day. We go to therapy and this is driving the beast storyline of of Tony uncovering his past because of these thoughts on Anthony Jr. He, t- he tells Melfi, you know, he thinks ADD is bullshit. And this is where we first begin to realize that Tony is starting to see Anthony Jr.'s behavior as his own behavior. And that's when he starts thinking back to his dad. I really love the the Dr. Melfi, Tony back, back and forth. I think, I think she does a good job or the writers do a good job. Uh, they do want to, they do want to address in this scene, Tony being in love with with Dr. Melfi and he confesses that he does. He doesn't really address it though. His way of combating that is, you know, telling her that he has a girlfriend. Like that's his masculine way of showing her up and she's unimpressed. Like she she's on a different level than him in, in maturity and intelligence and all this. So she's not impressed that he's going to just wave, "Oh yeah, I have a girlfriend." But that's Tony's masculine way of expressing what he feels. Tony wakes up at home to Carmela shouting at both of the kids and he goes to take his Prozac and then thinks back to the the first first flashback scene. Do you remember this one, Josh? Is this the one where he's uh, catching the bus? Yeah. Yeah, trying to catch the bus and then obviously he misses the bus and then he sees his dad and Uncle Junior 
beat up on on their neighbor, I guess, for not paying up or something. Rocco. Yeah. I love this. I thought they cast Johnny Boy, Soprano, Uncle Junior, Olivia all, all super well. And I think I'm with you. I love the music of the 60s, the cars, everything like that. The old neighborhoods, just like the Italian neighborhood. The plastic on the couch. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And I loved seeing uh, a young Livia because she is like she's obviously with it, but she's she's sassy. And she you can tell she's she's kind of the boss here too. I thought she's like really beautiful and cruel. <laughs> yeah, I thought they they cast her really well, and I love Johnny Boy Soprano. Just Tony asked for a ride. He's like, no, I can't give you a ride, but you you go to school and you listen to what those teachers tell you. <laughs> he just drives, drives off to beat on beat on Rocco. And so, yeah, poor young Tony sees his dad just just beating on this guy. And this is this is the time period that it's kind of funny now. I was thinking back to the first episode where Tony thinks his dad had had a this better life, this better time. He has this nostalgia for the past. But really, when we see a snippet of this past, it's just Tony's dad getting ordered around by Livia. Livia's Livia's calling the sh- Livia's calling the shots here. His he's beating up people to collect money. It doesn't really seem like he has it that that great. It's also funny how Olivia always talks about, "Oh, your your father was a saint." It's like, "Well, now that we know yeah. what he did, now that we know what he did, I'm not, yeah. not sure saint is a correct word." She I think Tony might have said this a couple episodes ago, but like she didn't think that when he was alive. She hated him when he was alive, but then as soon as in death, he became a saint. So we go back to therapy and Tony confesses about this time, the first time he saw his dad beat up someone. Melfi asks him about it and he says, oh, I'm just glad my my dad wasn't gay is what, what Tony has to say and says he's proud of his his dad for, for beating up on someone. There's something too, I think, especially in these therapy sessions, I think about it more and more. A lot of like the critics I've read, particularly Ellen Seppenwall and Matt Zoller sites, they talk about James Gandolfini's acting. If you especially watch him in these therapy sessions, he's acting with his eyes he's acting with his neck his ears like old parts of him i think he's just he's just so good yeah his eyes it looks like he's just exhausted or like half half baked or something like that i'm like (laughs) (laughs) i think this is another another scene where if you listen to tony at face value right he's like you know he's proud of his dad for beating up that guy but then if you assume everything tony says is a lie you get two absolutely different takes on on the scene right which which perspective did you see Tony with Josh in this? Do you think he was proud of his dad or do you think something else? I think he was he was pretty much always proud of his dad. He definitely puts a lot of the blame on his mom, especially for the, you know, we'll, we'll get to it, but the uh, decision not to move to Reno and, and her craziness and her, it sounds like her favoritism towards his sister. Janice. Yeah, Janice. But yeah, I think overall he sees his dad in a favorable light, even even knowing like that's probably how he ended up where he is now. You see that, but then... Again, as we go through this episode, he reflects on he wants he wants his son, AJ, to be proud of him, but he doesn't want AJ to do what he did. Like, I think he's feeling regret, though, no? I mean, maybe regret for where he ended up now, but I don't think he... I didn't take it from this episode that he blames his dad for that situation. Yeah. I, I took it that he blamed his mom more mm-hmm. more, more so, and, and maybe that is because his dad is dead. And, and who knows? I don't know if we're going to be having more flashbacks in future episodes but that that tune could definitely change drew any thoughts on what tony's real perspective was you know i think everybody has kind of a a desire to defend their parents and desire to love their parents fully despite the fact that nobody's parents are perfect so i think tony doesn't know that he feels 
like anguish and resentment for his dad, but he's just like justifying it to Milfi. I think he's like lying to himself. And yeah, it's just probably going to take years more of therapy for him to actually admit that, oh no, you know, I'm not, I'm depressed and I don't wish I was a mob boss. And yeah, I do wish my dad was different. (laughs) My mom's not threatening to, you know, poke my eye out or whatever. (laughs) Do you think Tony's getting better through therapy, Drew? Yeah, I do. I think so. I mean, he just he just killed a guy, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the college episode, he just strangles someone. He has used it at least once to further his mob goals by putting Junior, Uncle Junior, in charge of the family. No, I mean, you said last time that you didn't think that therapy was that uh, accurate, right? I don't know. I was talking to Emily about it, and I do think it's, I think it's pretty accurate. You know, I think Melfi is... in that in that last couple episode where she's like kind of being a little more flirtatious with him or just like not quite as professional um Mm -hmm. i do think it's pretty realistic she challenges him a lot more than therapists that i've seen have like usually it's like oh wow this person is just like you know so soft um that's been my experience (laughs) like not your therapist is so soft just like not challenging the way that you know, you think right. like, you know, I think Tony has way more <laughs> work to do <laughs> uh, with his life perspectives. But um, Milfi really will put up these walls with him and really challenge his belief systems. Do you think she feels morally obligated to do that? Just be she he is probably a different client than any of her other clients. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I definitely think so. I know that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if it, it is accurate. I think it seems accurate compared to other movies and TV shows. I think other things are ridiculous. I think about The Departed, and I thought the therapy in that was just so dumb. Yeah, she's like, she like sleeps with him. It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm so fucking stressed out all the time, and let it in my hands steady. And then it's just like, you're gonna bang this dude? Like he's like clinically, yeah. you know, just going fucking insane. What does he say? Why don't you just prescribe me a bottle of scotch and a handgun so I can blow my brains out and she gets like frustrated and then writes him a prescription to like a painkiller it's like no 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 (laughs) you don't do that yeah Melfi hasn't done that but maybe she will going to the bada bing Tony and Silvio so Silvio is his slick haired guy in his crew Steven Van Zandt who's in the E Street Band with Bruce Springsteen but they talk about their kids growing up and Silvio has this great line you know my daughter's been giving me shit they're giving me all this feminist shit about this place, how it objectifies women, you know, shit like that. And it's just like, again, it's like these <laughs> these mob guys getting pushed into this progressive world where they are trying to figure it out. And they're, you know, based on their upbringing, education, all of that, you know, they're trying to do their best here. But they're definitely caught between generations here, I think. And I think Silvio says, you know, it's it's hard to raise kids in this information age. And Tony's just like, yeah, we want to protect them. But Big Pussy, who's also there playing pool, he has three kids and they're all doing very well. They know about him and his business too. So Tony wants that to be him for, for Anthony Jr. here. So he's he's definitely struggling with that. Drew, your favorite scene with the AJ's doing the inkblot test and he just shifts things to South Park and the, the psychologist or therapist. Is there... Is, is a psychologist? I think he's more of a. I think he's more of a psych. I don't know because I've never had like an ink block test done. <laughs> um, so I was thinking, like, what do you think this is? Yeah, I think this You're is like a weed. Expensive. <laughs> I think the main difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist is a psychiatrist can prescribe drugs, where a psychologist can't. 
Okay. And which one is a therapist compared to those two? I think they just went to a junior college as a therapist. No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, damn, I thought they were all therapists. (laughs) And then if you have your GED, you can be a life coach. (laughs) Just kidding. You need resume help, hit me up. It's like, I'm pretty sure you didn't even graduate high school. (laughs) (laughs) At home, Carmela is doing research on ADD. I think I think she's taking the right approach to at least if you're unsure about something, start researching it. And Tony thinks it's stupid still and, and belittles her really and, and projects he projects what he's feeling on Carmela. He says that, oh, you blame Anthony Jr. for me, you know, in my life too. And I don't know. I think she she stays pretty classy that whole conversation. Yeah, no, I think she she handled it pretty well. It's it's funny though, if if she had been to a therapy session with Tony. I was thinking about this watching the show. It's like, this is how he works things through. He like first is very emotional reactionary. And then he's kind of like, oh, okay. And then he kind of speaks what he really means without being degrading and belittling. And like Dr. Melfi just sits there and takes it. So it's like, if Carmela can be like, just hold on for like two more minutes. He'd be like, okay. Like, but yeah. she's like, no, you're being a fucking dick. <laughs> that's really interesting how he goes through that arc. Obviously that's his way of dealing with things, but you think that's just a, is it a tough guy mentality? Just you have to blow up on someone before you you have this this consideration of it. I think it's pretty natural. I mean, like, I mean, you, I feel like we could all attest. There's probably been situations where, like, we'll come home or we'll just be in an off mood, and then something mm-hmm. somebody does, you know, especially like girlfriend, fiance, and you kind of just either don't blow up at them, but blow up internally, or just react in a way. And then, when, like, ten minutes later, like, wow, that was a little aggressive of a reaction, but. I know. I think I, I think for certain people who are more stressed, it probably happens more often. And as a male actor, it's probably pretty easy to act that way. I mean, I'm not saying that what he's doing is easy, but you know, it, <laughs> there's similar emotions. I, I could feel like, oh yeah, I've I've reacted stupidly and and short sightedly like that before, but not as much on a consistent basis. <laughs> if you're in James Gandolfini's position, acting this out as a method actor, what would you think of in your life that got you that angry? that you'd be able to give that, you know, Emmy winning, Emmy winning performance. So let's see. Oh, last week I, uh, <laughs> I was cooking. I was, I was like seasoning, <laughs> seasoning, seasoning chicken. And, uh, <laughs> how fucking dare you use that spice, Josh? That is the wrong spice. <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> and, and, and no, it's it basically something like that. Like Sarah, Sarah, Sarah my, my fiance was like, Oh, you, I think that's too much salt. And I was like, in my head, I was like, no, it like burns off on the grill a little bit. And then I was like, okay, fine. Like, I'll just placate her. So I go and like rinse off the chicken in the sink. She's like, oh, you didn't have to do that. And I was like, oh, do you want to salt it? And then like kind of kind of blew up. I, I'd probably go there. <laughs> Did you rinse it off thinking you were just going to salt it when you went out to grill it or something? Well, I was going to re-salt it, but just not as much. No. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, if you were in that, if you were James Gandolfini and you had to harness that anger, what would you do? Oh man, sometimes I get really angry at the end of River Seasons in Idaho. So River Season though, you are you do like five or six day trips on the river. You have one day off, do another one. And so it's a and long yeah, season. Yeah, we'd like drop, the water would drop out. So you'd lose your days off. So you're working like 30 days in a row, just all day. And then- With stupid tourists. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most of them are cool. But I remember one time I just was like, I couldn't get the lid off of the shitter. And like- <laughs> Like, you just like, it's like, it's like this metal pooper. We call them groovers. And uh, then there's like a ring around it. So you like pop the ring off and then you have to use like a flathead screwdriver and just like pry it off. And then you just use your fingers to like get the shitter off. And it's like totally (laughs) disgusting. And 
like this guy has to shit and he's just like standing above me as I'm just like, it's just like the sun's like beating down and I like cannot fucking get this thing off. And he's like, Oh, it's really on there. And this dude was super annoying. And I like walked down to the boats and just like kicked one of the Paco pads, which is like one of the beds. And I was just like, okay, time to, time to cool off. One time I got our gear boat so stuck and I... So the gear boat goes after or before everyone because all the tourists are in boats. You move to a different site each day and someone takes the gear boat, right? Yeah, it, you, you move the gear boat and then you, you get to camp like a couple hours early because they usually stop for lunch. They stop for hikes and then you set up, you know, 12 to 15 tents sometimes by yourself. <laughs> Like it, I would run out of water. It would take me like three and a half hours. Like sometimes you have someone there to help you, but if you don't, it can take like four hours to set up all the tents, set up the kitchen. And I'd like run out of water and then like run out of LaCroix and then just like be drinking beer. (laughs) (laughs) And just like, you just can get like, so burnt out and it's, and it is like a very, very privileged problem. You're just like six beers in. So you would do that and then you would, you'd be ready for the scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you take the shitter to each site that you go to, obviously, I guess. Uh, we have, we have one per day, but you know, you have like 20 people pooping in it. So yeah, then you've got like six full shitters and, and there's these like, there's these like washing machines at the end of the trip that you just like tie them up, flip them over. And it just makes the worst sound ever as it's like flipping over and then it just like washes it. But sometimes those are, are broken. People put like baby wipes or tampons and it breaks the machine. Then you just like, when that, when the machine's broken, you just like take it over this hole and just like bang out the shit. And it's just like, it sucks so hard, but it's so funny because it's just like, this is my <laughs> life right now. Tony could have been doing that if his dad was. <laughs> I love the line. I love the line. He's like, maybe would have been selling outdoor patio furniture in San Diego or something. Yeah. <laughs> Those lines are what make the Sopranos so good. He could say like another writer would say, Tony would go, you know, I could have had another job or whatever. But what makes the Sopranos good is that specificity. They also have one where his dad was in jail when Tony was a kid. He was like, yeah, they told me he was being a cowboy in Montana. (laughs) 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 Which another, a lesser show would have just said, oh yeah, my dad wasn't around as a kid. But instead, his dad was being a cowboy in Montana. Just so freaking good. In this week's Intermezzo... So one of our one of our many listeners, we have about two million listeners, I, I'm estimating at this point, wrote in and said, "Would love to know if you three have a favorite or multiple foreign directors in your favorite work of theirs." Thanks. So Drew and Josh, <laughs> Josh, why don't you go first? The only one I could think of, and I don't even know if this is his name, Robert Rodriguez. Is oh he, yeah, what's one movie he's made? He could be Mexican. I, I don't know if he was born in the United States, um, but uh, yeah, he made like Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Uh, blanking on so some other ones, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, as the only foreign director that I could think of, definitely my favorite. So. That doesn't count because he was born in the United States. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> but it was a good effort. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. I, I actually, I got one. I got one. Guy Ritchie. Okay. British. And yep. I really like like Lockstocks and Two Spoken Barrels and Snatch. I do actually really like those movies. So he's he might be one of my favorite directors also. Like 
not even just foreign, throwing some Americans in the mix. Top five for sure. All right. So you got a guy from Texas and a guy from England. Good job, Josh. That was pretty good on, <laughs> on short circumstances. Drew. There's just so many. There's, I spent so much time. <laughs> I th- well, I, th- I, thought the, I thought it was the question when I read the email was just directors. And honestly, I was like, huh, how many like directors do I even know? Um, I, what, were your, what were your favorite directors? Well, I had Coen Brothers, Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, Jordan Peele, George Lucas, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson's born in New Zealand. I was about to say, is it, is I it Peter Jackson? I was actually going to say Peter Jackson as a joke. So I did look up Bong Joon-ho. The, yeah, made Parasite. Yeah. And then have you guys seen... Um, What's the one about like factory farming? Oakjaw was like also by uh, the director of Parasite. It was it was pretty good. I haven't seen that. He's a really good one. First foreign language movie to win Best Picture Oscar. You guys see Parasite? I did. I have not. Oh, so good. I, I really enjoyed it. Josh, when you see it, we'll we'll really get into it. I have some strong feelings about that, Drew. Some strong positive feelings or both? Okay, both. It's really it's really good. It's really good. I have strong feelings about a lot of things that don't matter, as you guys can can tell from this podcast. (laughs) Anything else, Drew or Josh? Are you guys done? No, I'm done. Yeah, that's all I can muster. (laughs) (laughs) An an American and a British man. So when I I saw this question come in, I actually thought it was really exciting specifically for The Sopranos because Sopranos actually, David Chase loved foreign movies and he gets a lot of inspiration from them, mostly because foreign films tend to be more ambiguous i don't know if it's because their markets are usually smaller if they're not getting wide release in the u.s so they don't aren't dictated by u.s is like oh let's make another superhero movie because we'll make a billion dollars i don't know if this is true but maybe that's why foreign movies are more ambiguous more character studies they answer philosophical questions and especially in the later seasons of the sopranos as we'll get i mean sopranos is the the champion of anti-climax through a lot of these stories it's like what you think is going to happen isn't going to happen and and it just um, subverts expectations throughout. So I thought it was a really good question. So I wrote a few of my favorites down. So first one's Ingmar Bergman. He's a Swedish film director and he, two of his most famous movies are The Seventh Seal and Wild Strawberries. Seventh Seal is my favorite. So that's about a knight who came home from the Crusades and he's really disenfranchised. He fought in this war and the Black Plague is going on. But what he's doing is death is following him. So like one of the first depictions of the Grim Reaper as we see the Grim Reaper now this is following him and he's playing chess with death throughout this story. And it's it's really just fascinating. Ask questions about, you know, life and death and what it means to, you know, have meaning in your life. Uh, another one is Sergio Leone. So he created a lot of what we call in the United States spaghetti westerns because he was an Italian film director, but made a lot of the most famous westerns for us, like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Fistful of Dollars. My favorite movie of his is Once Upon a Time in the West. He would have like these... He, he was famous for these Sergio Leone close-ups. So if it was a duel between two people, he'd spend five minutes just going through like their close-ups, the scenery, playing this spectacular soundtrack throughout. And all five minutes of that time where you're just watching that would just be so interesting. Uh, the next one I have is Akira Kurosawa. He's probably the most famous foreign film director. He's from Japan. But he made a lot of movies where we got a lot of influence here in the West and the United States. So his most famous one, Seven Samurai. It's about seven samurai who protected a village from bandits who were going to come attack. And there's the Westerns, The Magnificent Seven that was made. That's a remake of Seven Samurai. He also made The Last Fortress, which George Lucas for Star Wars got a lot of inspiration from The Last Fortress and just countless other Westerns. Did you guys see Roma? Did either of you guys see Roma? Came out like two years ago. 
I don't think so. Uh, It's tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's this family in Mexico City. It's the housekeeper that looks after the kids and kind of watches this middle class family. And it's just really fascinating seeing the income disparity between the housekeeper, the family, and then her her struggle too. But it's by Alfonso Cuaron. Um, it got robbed by Green Book at the Oscars. So Green Book won Best Picture, but uh, Green Book was just stupid, I thought. It should have been Roma. And I swear this is the last one, but other favorite is from Iran. Um, it's Abbas Kirostami, and he made Certified Copy. But why I thought that one was so interesting for at least our Sopranos podcast is because Certified Copy is about a woman who goes to see, she goes to this author's book tour. And so she meets this author on his book tour. And the way the movie starts out is, oh, they don't know each other. And it and then it, it develops and they, they get more playful. Then they seems like they're pretending that they've known each other for a while and they've been married and they, they have kids. And it seems like they're just playing a game. But then you're wondering, oh, wait, were they actually playing before and they actually do know each other? And it just completely switches your expectations. And I was thinking about Tony and just his therapy sessions and his life and how you can have these two interpretations of Tony, whether he's lying or telling the truth. And I thought Certified Copy was that movie just was perfect for The Sopranos. Great job, guys. You made it. (laughs) Do you know of any foreign directors that aren't your favorite, Jared? (laughs) (laughs) That's next week's question. Your least favorite foreign director. (laughs) All right. So back into the episode. So Anthony Jr., part of his punishment, he has to go ride his bike and see his grandmother, Livia, at the retirement community. Livia is excited when he arrives. She introduces Anthony Jr. to one of her friends. And then as soon as her friend leaves, proceeds to just talk shit about her. She had a stroke. Now half her brain is gone. It's like she can't keep her, she can't keep her mouth shut about these people who I'm sure she's super friendly with when, when they're around. And then again, we see the generation differences. We see Tony is definitely his, his mother's son. She's appalled when Anthony Jr. lets slip that Tony is seeing a psychiatrist. And then he asks to see a pear and or has to eat a pear and he starts uh she starts crying i think probably just to get pity out of him that's kind of the game she plays she she thinks tony is just talking about his mother in therapy and is just appalled by that she's not wrong yeah she's right josh would you <laughs> yeah. rather have if you were in the mob let's say you're one of the soldiers would you rather have tony or livia upset with you Tony probably because Livia will just tell Junior to to whack me. Tony seems like he's he's got a pretty long leash. Yeah, he he doesn't want the violence. I I agree with you. Yeah, I think Livia is like the worst, like the most dangerous. You know, and he says that he's like, what does he say in the end of the? Oh yeah, I I wrote it. I wrote it down. Well, well, let's talk about that in in detail when we get to it because it's so good. Tony gets a flat tire while driving Anthony Junior. I think to like a dentist appointment or something. And I think Josh, you mentioned this is when. This is Tony when he starts to maybe turn a corner. Like he had the extreme reaction before, but he's starting to I don't know, sympathize more with his son. His son is going to see a psychologist. Tony's in therapy. He I don't know. He has he has a moment with him, I, and he tries to find out if his son knows that he's in the mob. You had a question about this scene. Do you guys think Tony is on that website? Oh, because he asks AJ if he saw him on the website. Yeah. I don't think he is. I don't think he is either. Because Jackie was the boss, and I think it probably was only bosses. And 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 nineties websites probably update every like ten years. <laughs> <laughs> we go into a longer therapy session where we go back and forth from the flashbacks. Do you guys remember the the flashback story that's getting told here? Is that the one where he sneaks in the back of the car to go to the carnival? Yeah, it it starts. I think 
Tony's trying to remember back, you know, Melfi makes a comment, he who doesn't know history is bound to repeat it. So he's trying to think back to this inciting event or what's what's causing him this this turmoil. So he, back in the 60s, he sneaks into the back of the, the car and goes with his dad and his si- older sister Janice to, he finds them at the carnival. You guys remember when I think he, he goes to the carnival and then he comes back from it and then he takes a bus there later and three kids chase him. One of those kids is Michael B. Jordan the actor who plays also Wallace in the wire drew and is in like every famous every movie, movie now. now. Yeah. Wait, one <laughs> Creed one Creed two also in Friday night lights, the TV show. Oh really? Yeah. In the later seasons, he's like the head coach has to go to a predominantly black school and he's the uh, quarterback. Oh, okay. There's also some like interesting things that happen here. So he, he's playing catch with his uncle. So he's reflecting back to that positive time with uncle junior when he was a kid. Uh, on the TV, too, I thought this was really poignant. The 1967 r- riots of Newark were occurring on the TV, which were because of incited by police violence. And they're kind of just removed from it, uh, Tony and his mom. So I thought that was that was really poignant and just interesting how relevant that has remained. So Tony follows. He feels really sad when he sees that his father is taking his older sister Janice to the fair. But it's really his dad is in some illegal operation uh, with some of the people they're using that as their their hideout or where they're conducting business. Tony's father's arrested along with Uncle Junior. Tony witnesses this, so that's very traumatizing for him. His dad gets home his home later. You know, his mom attributes it to be like, oh, they they just the police just pick on Italians. But Tony says this to to Melfi. He felt he felt helpless there watching this this happen to to his dad. And then at home. His dad, Johnny Boy Soprano, gets congratulated that he made it out by Rocco. And Rocco is the one who Johnny Boy had beat up earlier. So that was pretty ironic. Back in therapy, Tony's just assuming he his son is doomed because of his experiences with his dad. He doesn't see that there's any way out of this from here. I think Melfi, I forget what incites this. Like Melfi asked him a question. But again, Tony says he was proud of his father. You know, he bragged about it to kids at school. Again, this is this is pseudo masculinity. Like he's seen that, oh, someone who uses physical violence on someone is what it means to be a strong man because, oh, that's protecting your family. But it's really like that is what that doesn't separate people from animals. Like animals will inflict inflict violence. Like people are better because they have emotional emotional insight on something that they can think about their actions before they before they inflict violence. Josh, I think this was part of your core, but Tony thinks the mob is his destiny. And this is where Melfi, Drew, you said this, Melfi breaks character, right? She tries to communicate that people have choices. He's like, oh, she has an opinion. But <laughs> I think that was an important moment where, I mean, she's talking about America as it is, you know, people aren't just destined to their, where they grew up. They, they do have choices too. What did you think, Josh? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's definitely a product of your environment to some extent. But at the end of the day, somewhere along your life, you have to take responsible for your own actions and choices. And you got to this situation where you are based on a number of choices that you made. Granted, a lot of those might have been influenced by your surroundings, by your upbringing, by your friends in your life. But until you're able to come to come to grips with the fact that you can control your own destiny, you can make different choices then it's just really easy to fall back and blame, you know, like Tony's doing, oh, you know, my father was a mobster. Uh, I didn't get good <laughs> grades. I did a half a semester at college. You know, you have, to, I think that this is what Melfi's getting at. It's like, you have to, at some point, accept a large part of the reason why you are who you are is the choices that you made. Um, mm-hmm. And so 
it's definitely a combination of both. But I think as you get older, and I don't know what age that is, the excuse of, oh, my upbringing was rough kind of just goes away. Especially at Tony, you know, he's a middle-aged man. Like, yeah, maybe you're in the mob right. at like 22, 24. It's like, obviously, it might be hard to leave, but you could still do it. I mean, he, he was reflecting on his dad not going to Reno. Not that they would have been billionaires like Rocco was, but, you know, that would have been out of the mob and he would have had a different expecting a different life trajectory because of that. So no, it's definitely a combination of both, but at some point, and I don't know when that point is, you have to realize that, okay, I can make my life better by making better decisions. Yeah. Is this, and I don't know, is this a sociopathic tendency to rationalize your behavior? I mean, we think Tony is a sociopath, but he does has that, have that tendency, right? He rationalizes all of his behavior. I mean, I think we all rationalize our behavior. I don't think that's a, I think it's like a human behavior. Like, yeah, like sometimes, you know, and we all played sports. So it's like, oh, I don't want to work out today. And then you think that and then it's like, you know what? I deserve a day off. My shoulder hurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dumb example, but that was the first thing that popped in my head. <laughs> I think the difference is if I do skip that day, I'll feel horrible guilt about it. I was just like, what was I doing? Why did I like let that day slip? I And I don't know if Tony feels that, right? I mean, he has some some demons in him, but I don't know if he does feel guilt. Definitely not when he kills someone. When he has like a stress in his life, he seems to. But when he killed uh, Petrulio in, in college, he was like off taking Meadow right to right to the next college right after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good distinction. Like, okay, maybe everybody justifies. But a lot of times when you justify, there is that feeling of either you knew that wasn't the right thing to do or there is that little bit of guilt. And then maybe a sociopath just doesn't have that feeling. I want to read a couple articles on like what defines a sociopath because I, I do think Tony has those tendencies. I just want to learn a little bit more about it. We should we should find one of those online quizzes and I'll take one. It's like, are you a sociopath? <laughs> <laughs> who's the closest to sociopath out of the three of us? We already know who's closest to to Livia. And Jared wakes up before four. <laughs> that is pretty sociopathic. So, yeah. <laughs> Drew uh, didn't put his car into drive or reverse or whatever it was on his driving oh, test, like Livia yeah. driving over her neighbor. <laughs> Drew trying to murder somebody with a screwdriver because he couldn't get the toilet open for him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuck? Just buried that guy in the woods after that. <laughs> you put him in the shitter. I did dump him out. Yeah. He Six fell out the boat. Don't know where he went. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds horrible dealing with those shitters. Do they ever get called something else by anyone or are they just always the shitter? We call them groovers because you used to poop in rocket boxes, um, which are just like like ammo cans. But yeah, I'd, I'd much rather deal with shit than some conversations I have to have that I'm just like entirely uninterested in that kind of make you feel like a sociopath where you're just like, I am not listening to a fucking thing. <laughs> I would much rather deal with a shitter than have to talk to tourists on any tour. I think. I mean, I, I mean, that. most of like, them are Jared really, on shitter duty. Most of them are really cool. Most people are really cool. Most, most people are nice. And, and then there's that one. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> At Greengrove Retirement Community, Uncle Junior goes to visit Livia, and Livia almost spills the beans on on Tony in therapy here. Uh, It seems like she's about to tell Junior, but Tony shows up just in time and greets Junior, has a nice moment. Junior leaves. Livia makes a comment, you know, Junior's so full of himself after becoming Capo Regime, which is funny because Junior's the boss now. Like, he became Capo years and years ago. Capo's the captains under the boss. I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. I think it's a good time to make that point. So like Junior's quest to become boss has been really a long time coming, right? He was the older brother to Johnny Boy Soprano. 
Johnny Boy ran his own crew. That was the crew that Tony took over too. So he was passed, Junior was passed by a lot of people younger than him. Like his brother had higher regard. Tony had higher regard. Jackie April, who was the previous boss, people thought of him in higher regard. So Junior has really had, had to be passed by a lot of younger people for this. Tony brings up the story with his mom, Livia, about almost going to Reno. She talks about Rocco Alatori is a billionaire now. And Tony blames Livia for not letting his father go. I don't think we talked about it, but he does have that flashback in therapy. And that's the moment he discovers his father is trying to go to Reno to start this other business. One of those flashbacks as well is, I don't think we mentioned this either, but what was her line, Drew, when uh, she threatens him? I don't know. She's like, I'm going to stab you in the eye with this. Not the, the knife. It's like, yeah, it's like a fork right? or it's like a steak, you know, one of those like steak forks. And, and, and his face is like, his face is like home alone. Like, you know, the, <laughs> oh, <laughs> just hands to the cheek. <sighs> we just, yeah, we completely glossed over that during all the flashbacks too. But that was one of a moment. I think Tony kind of glossed over it. And Melfi was like, what, what did he, <laughs> she say to you? So yeah, completely trauma, traumatizing and manipulative. But then here back at the retirement home, Tony's bringing up that she, uh, that Johnny, his father, wanted to go to Reno and she didn't let him. And then Livia has this nice jab like, oh, maybe you should go see a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, Isn't that where people go if they want to blame other people for their mistakes, which is just very cold. And then Tony had this, this amazing line, Drew, you brought up earlier. He says to his mom, if you had been born after those feminists, you would have been the real gangster. What do you think, Drew? Is Livia the real gangster? Oh, totally. I mean, I didn't remember this episode, but before you're thinking like, oh, maybe like Tony's dad, uh, Johnny Soprano, was was just like an abusive, mean, dictatorial husband. And from mm-hmm. what they show, he's pretty loving to his kids. He's definitely not a grade A dad or, you know, but, but she just seems... So cold. And I mean, part of that's probably being in the 60s, being a woman, you know, marrying this guy, being Catholic, being stuck with him and just like stuck in your life, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, but you're not having working opportunities. I think you're giving Johnny Johnny Boy too much credit for being a good father. He was not present. Tony talked about him hitting them like with the belt yeah, all the time. Totally. He was abusive for sure. She seems just as guilty. I think she was smarter and she was more manipulative and probably got Johnny and the rest to do what she wanted in a lot of ways and became cruel and horrible. Like when she, when Johnny wants, uh, wants to go to Reno and he says he'll take the kids, she says, you know, I would smother them here before I would let them go to Reno. Like she said exactly what needed to be said to get her way, which is horrible. But I mean, Tony's right. She was the real gangster in the whole thing. Do you have any thoughts on that, Josh? No, when when he said that, I was like, you he hit the nail on the head. Like she's even showing that now with her actions with Junior. She's kind of got the ear of the king and she's finally getting to play gangster. So she's definitely the more ruthless one, in my opinion. Closing out the A story with the last two scenes here. So this is um, Anthony Jr.'s ADD uh, storyline. So Tony and Carmela visit the psychologist that AJ has been seen. You know, they say he's close to ADD. This might be partially because they're over-identifying this in people. Maybe not. Maybe he does. But Tony's thinks, you know, he's just being a normal 13-year-old boy and, and loses it on the psychologist and storms out. And Carmela seems to agree with him, too. They, they think this 
psychologists putting too much too much pressure on people like Anthony Jr. And I think there is definitely an argument there, especially in this this current current environment. And then Tony's working out downstairs, watching the History Channel like he loves. And then he goes upstairs and has a nice moment with Anthony Jr. They make ice cream together, brain the, the whipped cream in each other's mouths. I didn't <laughs> think anything really got solved, but I think maybe in, in Tony's head, he's just like, all right, case closed, back to normal business. But who knows? Josh, you think Anthony Jr. is doomed? It's tough to say. Uh, I mean, seeing Meadow on the on paper, at least, be pretty successful, know that there's hope and that Carmella is really going to give it her all. But from what we've seen in this episode, I think it's just basically a mirror image of Tony when he was younger, kind of respects his dad in a way or, or likes that his friends fear him. But mm-hmm. I think deep down, he probably just wants a loving dad. So he might rebel again out because of that or, I don't know, maybe become really good at art. I know, I know, like this psychiatrist, like he's <laughs> really good at art. He's got good spatial orientation. <laughs> maybe he'll get, maybe he'll be a, a starving artist or tortured artist. <laughs> Drew, any anything else? Maybe doomed to be a, a douchebag or what? <laughs> Sorry, I apologize for my in in where we're at. I should be more careful. So if anyone was offended, I I apologize for not being more mindful. But yeah, I think he is probably doomed <laughs> to be, you know, an asshole. <laughs> so. There we I mean, go. That's, I, that's not hurting anyone's feelings. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've, I'm just like digging myself out of this hole. <laughs> all your all your parents' friends that are listening to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll never think that. I didn't know Drew said the word douchebag before. Funny story. One time, my dad uh, <laughs> was trying to buy like a water water heater, like one of those water bottle heater things that you like put on your stomach, and and didn't have his glasses on, and accidentally bought a douchebag, <laughs> which is the funniest moment of my entire life. <laughs> Did he get home when he realized that? Yeah, I was just like on the kitchen island. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Um, but anyways, sorry for the digression. Um, I think Anthony's pretty doomed, doomed to, you know, it's just the, it's just getting passed on the, uh, the family issues. All right. We'll see. We'll, we'll get into a couple quick categories. So pitfalls, we, we touched on them again. I think like the Sopranos is getting into this space where I'm not seeing many flaws from it, but maybe I, I have tunnel vision. One was weakness of like the gym class at the beginning, kids drinking wine, someone throws up off screen. The kids are, it's just, it's just fake. It's very nineties. Um, and then I, the nudge at the viewers and the union scene when Tony just explains his business for the viewer's sake. Those are the pitfalls that I had. Did you guys have any others? I thought the flashbacks were a little dated, but I won't call them pitfalls. More so than obviously they them taking place in the 60s? No, not dated as in like in the past. I meant, <laughs> <laughs> I meant it would just be like, uh, in this like one second white. The white that was, was weird. weird. Yeah. yeah. That was a weird decision. I was just, yeah, I was just like, huh. I would have expected that to be a little more modern. What do you think about... Tony gets a flashback of killing Petrulio from the college episode when he's talking to Carmela in bed. She's like, "Is does Meadow know?" And he's getting flashbacks. What do you guys think of that? I was trying to find meaning in the in the flashbacks, and I don't know. I, I just couldn't really figure it out yet. Was it just because they were talking about that time, and, and that's what was on his mind, or was it because they were talking about him being in the mob, and that was like a very mob move that he did? I don't know. I'd, it almost seemed out of place to me. I could have lived without it. I think it took away from the the story. Like it would have been much more significant if Carmela just asked Tony, you know, "Do you think Meadow knows?" And we're just left with Tony's face. Like James Gandolfini is the 
the best actor in the whole show. Like he would have been able to handle that. We would have known what he was thinking. I was just a little annoyed at one of those coincidence timing things where uh, Olivia's about to tell Junior about Tony being mm. seeing a psychiatrist and then, oh, how convenient he just shows up to ruin the surprise. I agree. A show, I don't remember how that story happens. I'll say before I say this, but a show can't maintain that that long. So like if a character knows something and another character doesn't, like the audience will get upset that that other character doesn't find out if they try to maintain it too long. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I think you're right, but I don't think if if the show's going to I think doing one incidence like a a coincidence is okay if they continue to do that or if Livia still can't tell or do anything. I think that would be a major pitfall. Drew, why don't you share your best comedy moment? Oh, definitely the South Park card reading. <laughs> Sorry, I was just very ex- I was really excited to say that. <laughs> Said anal probe. Is that what was so funny? <laughs> I, I just like I hadn't thought about the first episode of South Park in a long time. And uh Was that yeah, the I actual remember. first episode that he was referencing? Yeah, yeah. I remember my mom renting that, not renting that for us, not knowing what it was. That was another <laughs> good childhood memory. <laughs> So that's your best comedy. Josh, how about you? Mine's more of a comedy line. I just, I love it when Carmela's like, you wouldn't beat a kid with polio. <laughs> <laughs> so like, one's a debilitating physical disease. The other's just not taking anything away from ADD, but they're pretty far on the spectrum of like severity and, and life altering from a physical standpoint. It was a bit hyperbolic, her making her point, right? Yeah. I guess just like a bit extreme. But it just cracked me up. The one-liners are so good. So my my best comedy moment when Anthony Jr. visits his grandmother, Livia, that whole scene where Livia talks shit on her supposed friend. As soon as her friend walks away, she had a stroke. Now her half her brain is gone. <laughs> and then she learns Tony is going to see a therapist. And AJ's just like, yeah, he does. He does not. Yeah, he does. He does not. <laughs> and then it just repeats. <laughs> Or a psychiatrist? He does not. How fun must it be for the writers to just come up with like the worst, you know, things for Livia to say? It must be. It must be just a blast. I know. It's like when you get back from a a social party or gathering and then you just talk shit about, (laughs) you're like, oh, but I love (laughs) it. It's like, God damn it. There's some people on the internet that just, they'll be like, oh, I couldn't stand her. I hated her, et cetera. But She's such a delight to watch just every moment she's in. I I think she, obviously she's not a likable person. You wouldn't she sounds she's miserable. But every moment she's on screen as a character, I thought she's just fantastic. Drew, what'd you have for best drama? Um shoot, I have it written down, but it's like I have dramatic scene written down, but I can't it's not pointing to anything. It's just pointing to a blank space on my notes. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, dramatic scene. Perfect. <laughs> Side note, Tony's tattoos are so fucking 90s and awful. He has that tiger on his. I have that written. It's like dramatic scene. And then it just says Tony's tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to I'm explain sorry. what a dramatic scene is? <laughs> I'm, just, it's just, I'm just not going to be in the next podcast for... <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a new host next week <laughs> josh why don't you go and give me give me a second because i know there are some good ones that i liked <laughs> yeah sure I'll, I'll lead it off um i thought that the best one of the best scenes was when tony and carmella 
you know, are, are talking about what, what to do with Anthony Jr. And she's, she had just gotten back from the dry cleaners and, and he was like, oh, what, you know, Meadow, Meadow is great. So like, like mother, like daughter, but then Anthony Jr., like father, like son, and they have that big blow up. I thought that was pretty a really good scene. It was great. Drew, I'll, I'll tell you what I think yours is. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so I, I think I think it's when Tony confronts his mom, Livia, at the end. You know, he's had all these flashbacks throughout the story to realize, you know, she's pulling a lot more strings than he thought. He confronts her and he said, if you had been born after those feminists, you would have been the gangster. Yeah, that's exactly. I, I like both of you guys. I'm I'm going to I'm going to go with both of them. <laughs> you have to choose one. I'll go with the feminist comment. I, I think that's brilliant. That was my favorite too. Looking back at the episode, Josh, do you think this episode or any any mob shows are perpetuating toxic masculinity? I bet they probably all are. I would also like I would like a definition of toxic masculinity. <laughs> that's a good idea. I'm gonna Google it. Because I have an idea of what it is. I just want to make sure. Yeah, no, no, that that's good. Um, let me see if this is a good definition. So First to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and to men themselves, specifically men who are socially dominant, uh, along with traits like misogyny, homophobia, can be considered toxic, due in part to their promotion of violence, including sexual assault and domestic violence. Uh, Okay. This is good, too. The socialization of boys in patriarchal societies often normalizes violence, such as in the saying, boys will be boys, with regard to bullying (laughs) and aggression. (laughs) What would happen to just boys will be boys? It has some it has some connotations of like it hurting men too. Totally. You know, male 100%. male on male violence is is, is painful for other guys. <laughs> like when Drew, you got into the the fight by that guy swinging at you and <laughs> throwing a baseball at your head. Yeah, don't throw up a screen in a, you know, <laughs> intramural PE <laughs> softball game. So there's a difference between the characters in a show having toxic masculinity and then it perpetuating that i think like i think it's okay to have a character that has that trait you know and tony clearly and junior and actually all these mob guys but then does the show i guess glamorize the masculinity portion of that and perpetuates the toxicity of it by glamorizing it yeah possibly by sympathizing with tony or you know as soon as the anti-hero movement it's like oh well we're sympathizing with this person yeah josh what do you think i would i would somewhat agree with drew i don't i don't think it glamorizes it as much as some other shows do but it definitely shows yeah i just i for some reason i i don't i'm not drawn to i'm not inspired by tony's character i'm not drawn to it i'm I'm not envious of it so because of that i say they don't really yeah. you know try to advance that narrative i don't think they do either but i do think kind of what i i mentioned earlier i do think people will look at this show and rather than maybe looking in depth into what tony's saying what melfi's saying they'll just take everything tony says at face value it's like oh yeah his his dad was being strong for the family tony is being strong for the family aj should be proud of him because they they don't really say that that's wrong in the show we're just all meant to assume that 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 is wrong or that that he's lying really when he's saying he's proud of his father so i think i could see how people could take it the other way i don't think that's the intent of the show at all i think it's the exact opposite and not perpetuating it but i think certain viewers might understand it differently drew what was your last thought you had earlier do you remember i i like this quote from bob marley that's i'm into what i'm into because i was born into what i'm into i just thought that that was kind of cool to have it connected from bob marley to you know like tony soprano (laughs) 
I'm into what I'm into because I was born into what I'm into, uh, which I think is just like so true. We are products of our parents or breaking away from our parents because of what they were like or what our childhood was like. Well, that's our show this week, episode seven. Join us in helping defeat recency bias. And so we can we can bring Sopranos back to the limelight and it won't be shows like Game of Thrones and Westworld at the top of these rankings anymore. But thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you did enjoy this, it really does help us if you leave us a review on iTunes. That's going to help other people find us and it's, it's going to help help us as well. Uh, if you have any questions for us, uh, if you have anything we want to touch on in the show, um, you can reach out to us on my website, jaredbackins.com. Also, our Twitter handle, Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. Drew, where can we find you? Instagram, Drew Draws, and my website's rivertosea.stickers.com. Josh, any parting words? Like and subscribe, please. (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys still use your Facebook accounts at all? You know, I'm trying to switch over to a business account, so it looks like I'm back in the Facebook game. (laughs) Oh, back in the game. It's going to be you and baby boomers and Russian robots, uh, pretty much, I think, are the last ones using it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't use it at all. Anyway, guys, episode eight next week. Super excited to watch that and chat about it with you guys. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Adios.